17, verse 8 to 18, 27. In verse 11 of chapter 18, listen to what Jethro says. Remember, this is Moses' father-in-law. Now I know that the Lord is greater than all gods, because in this affair they dealt arrogantly with the people. Now I know that the Lord is greater than all gods. One Old Testament theologian, he says this is the theological thrust of what's going on in this passage. And what has been going on since Exodus 1. God says that I am going to display my power. I'm going to bring these plagues upon the Egyptians. Why? That they may know that I'm greater than their gods. The Lord is greater than all gods. The Lord is greater than all gods. Last week, as a reminder, we had just come out of this salvation experience, this deliverance from Egypt, passing through the Red Sea. The Israelites come, they rejoice in singing a song of what the Lord has done. And then last week we see that grumbling fills their hearts. They get to this new spot and the water is bitter. Oh, the water is bitter. Moses, why'd you bring us out here? Then, a month later, they, they're hungry. And they grumble again against Moses and God. Where is our food? God says, here it is manna for 40 years, quail to fill you up. Then, a few days later, they come into a new spot, a new area. There's no water. They're thirsty again, and they grumble and they quarrel. You see, this is what's marking these people in, in 15 and 16 and 17. And now as we come into 17, 8, there was, yes, turmoil Within And now we're going to see that turmoil is actually coming from outside the camp now. But the Lord is continuing to provide. Yes, the people lack trust in 16 and 17. Now will they, we, we continue to ask this question, will they trust? Will they trust the Lord? Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians 10 verse 6, and he, he specifically is talking about the wilderness journey. But this is what he says in, in 1 Corinthians 10, 6. Now these things took place as examples for us that we might not desire evil as they did. Last week, the people desired evil. What was that evil? Well, it was, hey, can we go back to Egypt? Why'd you take us out of Egypt? We had pots full of meat. We had veggies. We had water. They desired to go back. They desired their old way of living. They, they desired and, and questioned whether or not God was among them. So today, I, I, want, I want you to think for a second. Moses is writing this book to a people who are about to go into the promised land. Okay? Forty years have passed in the wilderness. And now Moses is writing this book. Here, right Last week we saw, hey, do you remember how, how pathetic y'all were? Grumbling over these things. 
when the Lord was present and you were questioning him? Now, I believe what he's doing is he, he wants them to remember. He wants them to remember God's provision each day and through different events that happened to them while they're in the wilderness. In our passage today, 17.8 to the end of 18, we'll see the Lord is present with them. Where they questioned at the end of 17.7, is the Lord among us or not? No, the Lord is present and we're going to see his presence with them. We're going to see his great power. And not only are we going to see it, but the nations around, around Israel are going to see it as well. The nation of Amalek, the Amalekites, they're going to see it. There's a, there's a priest from Midian, Moses' father-in-law. He's going to see the, God, the Lord's power. In our, and after, after Israel crosses the Red Sea, they rejoice through song. We saw that a few weeks ago. They praise the Lord for delivering them from the hands of the Egyptians. Moses, like I said, he's writing as the people are about to enter the promised land. He wants them to continue to rejoice, continue to praise, continue to worship God. Moses is encouraging them to do, to do this. He, he is saying, hey, remember what the Lord did. Remember how he delivered you. So as we, as we go through this passage today, this is what our takeaway is. This is what I want us to walk away with. Rejoice, for the Lord is a great deliverer. Rejoice, for the Lord is a great deliverer. We're going to begin in chapter 17, verses 8 to 16. If you don't have a Bible, I would encourage you to grab one in the pew. We're going to be on page 55. If you need a Bible, take it. And that's a, that's a gift to you. Uh, we, we want your nose in the Word. Not just on Sunday mornings, but throughout the week. We want to be a people of the Word. So we pick up in 17, verse 8. Then Amalek came and fought with Israel at Rephidim. So Moses said to Joshua, choose, uh, choose for us men and go out and fight with Amalek. Tomorrow I will stand on the top of the hill with the staff of God in my hand. So Joshua did as Moses told him and fought with Amalek, while Moses, Aaron, and Hur went up to the top of the hill. Whenever Moses held up his hand, Israel prevailed, and whenever he lowered his hand, Amalek prevailed. But Moses' hands grew weary, so they took a stone and put it under him, and he sat on it, while Aaron and Hur held up his hands, one on one side and the other on the other side, so his hands were steady until the going down of the sun. And Joshua overwhelmed Amalek and his people with the sword. Then the Lord said to Moses, Write this as a memorial in a book and recite it in the ears of Joshua, that I will utterly blot out the memory of Amalek from under heaven. And Moses built an altar and called the name of it, The Lord is my banner, saying, A hand upon the throne of the Lord. The Lord will have war with Amalek from generation to generation. Let's pray. Father, we're, we're grateful for your word. Lord, we're grateful for the reminder in the song we just sang. We were hell bound. We were hell bound. Destined for destruction. Destined to be separated from you for eternity. But in your goodness and in your kindness, you awakened us. 
you gave us life in Christ. And now we proclaim, all I have is Christ. All I have is Christ. Now, Father, we pray that you would guide us by your spirit in your word. Give us understanding. May our eyes be focused on Jesus today. We pray all this in his name. Amen. So as we go through this passage today, I want us to see three ways we can rejoice in our great deliverer. Right? Rejoice for the Lord is a great deliverer. First, the first way we see in this, these verses, see the Lord's power. See the Lord's power. The Lord's power is on display here. They, right, they're, they're coming into Rephidim, a new, a new place. And immediately it says that the Amalekites, Amalek, came and fought with them. So now they're going into a new place. Now it's not about hunger. It's not about thirst. It's about an enemy coming to attack them. What are they going to do? Well, Moses immediately says, hey, Joshua. It's the first time we're introduced to Joshua. Right? He's going to come up a few more times. He's going to be one of the spies that comes back and say, let's go get it. While the others are saying, no, they're too big. They're too big. We can't do it. Joshua's like, nah, let's, let's get it. Let's go to that promised land. Let's take it over. Joshua is one of just a few that actually go into the promised land 40 years later. Joshua is introduced here. Not much is said about him. It's probably because the people know about Joshua. We'll learn more about Joshua as we continue through Exodus. Moses says, Joshua, choose for us men. Choose for us men who will go and fight for us. Because tomorrow you're going to fight. The nations are attacking Israel. These Amalekites, they're going to show up again in one year. And then they're going to come, they're going to come back into the story as they go into the promised land. They're going to show up in 1 Samuel. Yet in this battle, we see God's power is on display. We really see it on display in three ways. The staff, the hands, and the memorial. The staff, as you may remember so far in Exodus, the staff was the one that Moses took before Pharaoh and threw down, and it became a snake. And then it swallowed all the other snakes that the magicians made. It's the, it's the staff that Moses was to hold out over the Red Sea and part the Red Sea. It's the staff that last week we saw, hey, strike the rock and water will flow. This staff was a picture of God's power and presence with Israel. It's a symbol of God's presence. So this staff symbolizes God's power is there. And as, as we continue on, we see, yes, Joshua now is fighting. Moses and Aaron and Hur, they're on top of the mountain, overlooking this battle. Moses' hands are up. The staff is up, showing that God is over this. God is providing. God is pr protecting. God is present in this fight. But then there's a lot made here in this passage of, of Moses' hands. It says, whenever Moses' hands were lifted, the Israelites prevailed. But, but whenever he lowered his hands, Amalek prevailed. 
See, there's something about these hands. I, I, I think what it's showing is that when Moses is lifting his hands, it's showing an utter dependence on God. It's showing an intercession by Moses over these people. He's interceding on behalf of his people over this war, over this fight. He's overseeing the fight with lifted hands. He's praying. He's depending. Joshua is fighting, and the men are fighting with physical weapons. Moses is using spiritual weapons. In the, in the scriptures, lifted hands are prayerful hands. Lifted hands are prayerful hands. In Psalm 63, 3 and 4, Because your steadfast love is better than life, my lips will praise you. So I will bless you as long as I live. In your name I will lift up my hands. Psalm 141, verse 2, Let my prayer be counted as incense before you, and the lifting up of my hands as the evening sacrifice. Paul exhorts men in 1 Timothy 2.8, I desire then that in every place the men should pray, lifting holy hands without anger or quarreling. It's a sign of dependence. It's a, it's a sign of, of prayer, of crying out and interceding on behalf of the people. Yet we see Moses is growing weary. He cannot do this alone. It says they took a stone and they put it under him so he could sit down, right? He's growing tired. And then Aaron and her, just get this picture. This is a beautiful picture. Aaron and her come and they, they lift his hands. They hold his hands up together. They're stronger than just Moses is alone. They lift his hands together. They work together and the outcome is that Israel wins the battle. As we think about what's happening here, I want, to think about, I want you to think about your own life. I want you to think about the church. And we are in this together. We're on a journey together. We want to finish well. We want to overcome temptation. We want to overcome those, that, those spiritual enemies that are against us. We hold one another up. We care for one another. We serve one another. We love one another. We fight together. We walk in dependence upon the Lord together. Paul uses battle imagery in Ephesians 6. Yes, this is physical warfare. But what's going on on this mountain is spiritual warfare. We understand in Ephesians 6... That we are in a battle, church. And it's not against flesh and blood. It's against the spiritual domain of darkness. And Paul says, put on the full armor of God and get ready to battle each and every day. But then in 18 to 20, this is what he says. Praying at all times in the spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. And also for me, that words may be given to me and opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in change, that I may declare it boldly as I, ought, as I ought to speak. We need one another. We need to be praying for one another. We need to be interceding on behalf of one another that we may finish this race, that we may persevere to the end. Moses is doing this 
He's interceding on behalf of the Israelites. And then, as the battle ends, as the staff is raised, as the hands are raised, as Israel prevails, they overwhelm, then the Lord speaks. And he says to to Moses, hey, set up a memorial. Why? So you can remember. So you can remember. This is a reminder of what the Lord has done. Tell Joshua, recite it to Joshua. Why? Because Joshua is going to need this. Right? As Joshua is going into the promised land, Joshua 1, right, we see this over and over again. Hey, remember the word. Obey the word. Be strong and courageous. Remember what the Lord has done. Moses is told to, or Moses builds an altar. We see as, as altars are built, this is a sign of worship. This is a sign of crying out to God. And then we're told here, as he builds this altar, he calls it a name. He calls it the Lord is my banner. The Lord is my banner. I, I thought this was a bit confusing. I, we don't really use many banners or anything like that. But as you think about an army, their flag, right? Their flag shows them where the, where the colonel is, where the general is. And this is a place, as we think about this banner, it's a place of, of regrouping of rallying and getting instructions. The Lord is my banner. This is where the people are going to regroup. They're going to rally and they're going to continue to get instructions from the Lord. It's a unifier. It brings the people together. So as we think about this, as we think about the enemy from outside coming in, practically we need, we need the Lord's power daily as we battle Yes, our flesh, but also Satan and the world. As, as Paul exhorts us, let us put on the armor. Let's walk daily in dependence of the Lord in prayer. Let us see the Lord's power. See the Lord's power. As we think about Joshua and Moses and, and just what they're representing here. Joshua is a fierce warrior on the battlefield. So fierce that the Israelites overcome the Amalekites. Moses is a, is a prayer warrior. He's a man of prayer on the mountain. You see, as we see God's power at work here, I think it's applicable for us to look forward to the greater Joshua, the greater Moses. Right? The one who is the true and better mighty warrior, the one who is the true and better man of prayer. You see, Jesus doesn't grow weary like Moses. Moses grew weary. He needed others to come along and hold up his hands. Jesus does not grow weary in interceding on behalf of his people. He is the true and better Moses. He is the true and better Joshua. Isaiah 11.10 actually predicts this. It says, the root of Jesse, which we know the lineage of Jesse is Jesus. The root of Jesse will stand as a banner for his people. The Lord is my banner. He will stand as a banner for his people. The nations will seek him and the resting place will be glorious. Church, let us run to Jesus for he is our banner. He's the one we rally around. 
He's the one we receive instructions from. So after this battle, we see that, yes, the Amalekites are going to come back. The Lord will have war with Amalek from generation to generation. But then as we enter into chapter 18, we see a family reunion. Man, this had to have been a sweet time for Moses. Moses has gone to Egypt, struck down Pharaoh, plague after plague after plague, gone through all of this. And now he is running for his life through the Red Sea. Now a year or a few months have passed. And now we see a family reunion. A family reunion. But within this family reunion, in these first 12 verses, what we see is that we're, 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 we're recounting, we're remembering the Lord's deliverance. Listen to 1 through 12 in chapter 18. Jethro, the priest of Midian, Moses' father-in-law, heard of all that God had done for Moses and for Israel, his people, how the Lord had brought Israel out of Egypt. Now Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, had taken Zipporah, Moses' wife, after he had sent her home, along with her two sons. The name of the one was Gershom, for he said, I have been a sojourner in a foreign land. And the name of the other, Eliezer, for he said, the God of my father was my help and delivered me from the sword of Pharaoh. Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, came with his sons and his wife to Moses in the wilderness where he was encamped at the mountain of God. And when he sent word to Moses, I, your father-in-law Jethro, am coming to you with your wife and her two sons with her. Moses went out to meet his father-in-law and bowed down and kissed him and they asked each other of their welfare and went into the tent. Then Moses told his father-in-law all that the Lord had done to Pharaoh and to the Egyptians for Israel's sake, all the hardship that had come upon them in the way and how the Lord had delivered them. And Jethro rejoiced for all the good that the Lord had done to Israel and that he had delivered them out of the hand of the Egyptians. Jethro said, blessed be the Lord who has delivered you out of the hand of the Egyptians and out of the hand of Pharaoh and has delivered the people from under the hand of the Egyptians. Now I know that the Lord is greater than all gods. Because in this affair they dealt arrogantly with the people. And Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, brought a burnt offering and sacrifices to God. And Aaron came with all the elders of Israel to eat bread with Moses' father-in-law before God. How do we rejoice? Yes, we, we see the Lord's power, but we also remember the Lord's deliverance. Here we're told that Jethro is a priest of Midian. That probably implies that he's a pagan priest. Midianites were not worshipers of Yahweh. The, the Midianites were enemies, yet in this passage, we see the Lord's deliverance. We see a recounting of the Lord's deliverance, the Israelites, from the Egyptians, but we also see deliverance from death to life for Jethro. The Lord delivers in verses 1 through 7. You see here, at this, as the family is reunited, Moses throws in here the name of his sons. Why would, he, why would he tell us the name of his sons? Like what purpose does that have in the meaning of this text? Well, Gershom means I've been a sojourner in a foreign land. Eliezer means the God of my father was my help and deliverer. You see, this is a reminder to the people. Not only a reminder to Moses that he was a foreigner in the land, but that he also had a God who helped and delivered. The Israelites, this is their story as well as they're recounting this. Yes, these two names are a reminder of the Lord's deliverance. You are a sojourner, a foreigner in that land. The Lord delivered you. I want to tell you, if, if you are a believer in Christ, this is your story as well. These two names are a reminder for you today that you 
are a foreigner in this land, yet God is your help and your deliverer. Have you been delivered? Do you see your need for deliverance? See, the the Israelites were enslaved in Egypt. They cried out to God for deliverance. We're enslaved by sin, and we need to cry out to God for deliverance. That's the beauty of the gospel. The Lord delivers. The Lord also saves. In verses 8 to 12, we see Jethro's story, Jethro's testimony. He is hearing Moses recount what the Lord has done. And then in verse 9, Jethro rejoices for all the good that the Lord had done to Israel. He delivered them out of the hand of the Egyptians. And then Jethro says in verse 10, Blessed be the Lord. He rejoices. He blesses the Lord. Why? Because he's delivered you out of the hand of the Egyptians and out of the hand of Pharaoh and has delivered the people from under the hand of the Egyptians. He's blessing the Lord for his great power, for his deliverance. Then, in verse 11, now I know. We see him rejoicing. We see him blessing. We see him knowing. He says, now I know that the Lord is greater than all gods. He's greater than all the gods that that Jethro worships. He's greater than all the gods of the Egyptians. He's greater than all the gods that we worship here in America. He's greater than all the gods. He goes on in verse 12, and it says, And Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, brought a burnt offering and sacrifice to God. And Aaron came with all the elders of Israel to eat bread with Moses' father-in-law before God. Jethro rejoices in hearing about this God. He blesses the Lord. He knows the Lord. And he worships the Lord through burnt offerings. This is before the the burnt offering and sacrifices are established, where the high priest and the priests that are set apart do this. But what we see here is a pagan priest turned the Lord's priest. It's pretty amazing what this good news, this promise of deliverance does in Jethro's life. But it's also what the gospel does in our lives. It turns us from death to life, from blind to seeing, from worshiping creation to worshiping the true God. Again, a question to pose. Are you worshiping something something other than the Lord? What are you worshiping? Are you worshiping your job? Are you worshiping the almighty dollar? Are you worshiping power? Maybe you're worshiping other gods that have names. Jesus came to deliver. He came to deliver. Jesus became sin, and he knew no sin. And through him becoming sin, we have a chance for life. We have a chance to be delivered from death to life. You see, Jesus took on sin. He took our death. He took our wrath that we deserve. And he suffered and died on the cross. Yet, he did not stay dead. As he said, he would raise, he would be raised three days later, and he did. Three days later, Jesus was raised from the dead by the power of God. We can see the power of God in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. 
And the, the offer is free. You can have deliverance from sin and death to new life in Christ. You can be delivered from the domain of darkness and be welcomed in, ushered into the kingdom of the beloved son. The Bible is clear that if you confess your sins, he's faithful and just to forgive you your sins. That's what it is. It's, it's turning from sin and turning to Jesus. If, if you're still worshiping something other than the Lord, I would encourage you to talk to someone you know that invited you, that you know is walking with Jesus. Come and talk with one of our, our pastors about this. The Lord delivers. The Lord saves. As we progress in our story, a day has passed now, going into verse 13, and we see the work Moses is doing among the people and how Jethro responds to seeing this work. Listen to verses 13 to 27. The next day, Moses set to judge the people, and the people stood around Moses from morning till evening. When Moses' father-in-law saw that he was, all that he was doing for the people, he said, What is this that you're doing for the people? Why do you sit alone and all the people stand around you from morning till evening? And Moses said to his father-in-law, Because the people come to me to inquire of God when they have a dispute. They come to me, and I decide between one person and another, and I make them know the statutes of God and his laws. Moses' father-in-law said to him, what you're doing is not good. You and the people with you will certainly wear yourselves out, for the thing is too heavy for you. You're not able to do it alone. Now obey my voice. I will give you advice, and God be with you. You shall represent the people before God and bring their cases to God. And you shall warn them about the statutes and the laws and make them know the way in which they must walk and what they must do. Moreover, look for able men from all the people, men who fear God, who are trustworthy and hate a bribe. And place such men over the people as chiefs of thousands, of hundreds, of fifties, and of tens. And let them judge the people at all times. Every great matter they shall bring to you, but any small matter they shall decide themselves. So it will be easier for you, and they will bear the burden with you. If you do this, God will direct you. You will be able to endure, and all this people also will go to their place in peace. So Moses listened to the voice of his father-in-law and did all that he had said. Moses chose able men out of all Israel and made them heads over the people. Cheese of thousands, of hundreds, of fifties, and of tens. And they judged the people at all times. In any hard case, they brought to Moses, but any small matter they decided among themselves. Then Moses let his father-in-law depart, and he went away to his own country. As we think about rejoicing in this Lord who is our great deliverer, yes, we see the Lord's power, we, we remember the Lord's deliverance, but here we see this, this example from Moses. We obey the Lord's direction. Obedience yields joy. <laughs> Obey the Lord's direction. In this passage, we see Moses' humility in receiving critique from his father-in-law. How many of y'all have father-in-laws? Is it easy to receive critique from them? Is it easy to e even listen to them? He obeys the direction from Jethro, which is actually from the Lord. So really three takeaways, practical ways that we see Moses doing this. Be humble enough to receive critique. Be humble enough to receive critique. We see this from verses 13 to 17. Jethro observes Moses' rhythms. Morning to evening, long line of people. I can see him just kind of sitting, right, behind a table, behind a rock, behind something. 
And they're coming up to him. Hey, we, we got this problem. Moses deliberates. He, he tells them what's going on. All right, next. Cool. Next person comes up. Next person comes up. Next person. 600,000 people. Remember? Like, plus women and children, right? Tons of people. All right, Moses, what are you, what are you doing? That's Jethro, right? Jethro looks at him. He's like, bro, th- this is not good. He says, what you are doing is not good. It's not good that you're doing this all day. Moses receives this. Like, guys, just, just think about the power that Moses has displayed, the walk he has with God. He receives this from his newly converted pagan priest father-in-law. He receives it. He, he receives this criticism. He receives the suggestions. What you are doing is not good. Are you humble enough to receive criticism? Are you humble enough to receive criticism? Do you have a receptive spirit when people bring criticism against you? I guess for our church, do you feel like you know one another good enough to bring critique? In our small groups, do you feel like you know one another enough for you to bring critique and for you to receive critique? Right? One, one, um, it, one simple advice I got as a young pastor, I'm still, I still consider myself a young pastor. I've only been at it for like three years, four years. Um, got more gray in my beard for sure. But one thing I was encouraged to have is thick skin, but a soft heart. Thick skin, but a soft heart, right? We, we want to listen to critique. We want to we bring it in, but we, want, we don't want it to crush us. But we also want to be receptive, so we want a soft heart so that we can hear and understand. Moses models this. Moses was a humble man. He models this for us. Be humble enough to receive critique. Be humble enough to acknowledge your limitations. Verse 18, yes, Jethro points this out, but Moses changes so we know he understood it as well. Verse 18, you and the people with you will certainly wear wear yourselves out, for the thing is too heavy for you. You're not able to do it alone. You're not able to do it alone. You will wear yourself out. Jethro told Moses he would wear out. Moses was wearing out. Look, we are not supermen. We need one another. None of us in here should desire to burn out. That's not what we want. We're in a marathon, as John Piper reminds us. We're not in a sprint. The finish line is whenever the Lord takes us home or when Christ returns. That could be tomorrow or it could be in 50, 60, 70 years. We want to run with perseverance and endurance. And it's not going to happen by burning out quickly. Moses here is over 80 years old, 80 years of experience, yet he responds to his father-in-law. We need to work hard, but we need to work with wisdom. We have a young church. We have a young church. Many young folk believe they're invincible. Do you know your limitations? Do you know your limitations? Are you willing to ask for help? Let's, Let's be a church that sees needs and meets them. 
Let's be a church that sees people hurting and running on fumes, worn out, and let's come alongside of them. Let's care for one another. Moses continues to model for us. Yes, he is humble enough to receive it. He's humble enough to acknowledge it. But he's also humble enough to make changes. He changes. We see that Moses understands and listens to his father-in-law. Here, this is, this is what Jethro says. He says, hey, choose, choose some men. Choose able men. Really with three characteristics. They fear God, which the fear of God is the beginning of wisdom. They are trustworthy, which means they're reliable and consistent. And they hate bribes. They hate bribes. They hate dishonest gain. They're not all about self. They're not self-absorbed, self-interested. They're able men. They're able men. Moses, Moses looks around and he sees. And then we saw earlier, he does. He actually obeys. He makes the changes. In our church, this is, I didn't know, Mo, I didn't know Jordan was going to do this this morning. But this is our hope. Is that the Lord would raise up able men to pastor, elder our church. That the Lord would raise up deacons. That the Lord would raise up other leaders, men and women, to serve in the giftings the Lord has given them. But this is, this is across the board. Men and women, fear God. Fear God. Stand in holy all in reverence before your creator. Be trustworthy. Be reliable. Be consistent. Let your word mean something. Hate bribes. Not a lot of bribes going on around here, I don't think. But let's not be self-absorbed. Let's not be about self. Let's be about the interest of others. Let's be humble enough to make changes. Let's be, let's be a church that's raising up leaders, multiplying leaders. Moses or Jethro goes on to say that if you do this, if you do this, do this, obey. If you obey, he says, God will direct, you will endure, and the people will go in peace. You see, order is good for us. Delegation is good. It, better, it betters the lives of all people involved. So, so many churches, so many churches have a single pastor and they're, they're dropping like flies. They're dropping like flies. There's 500 churches right now in North Carolina that have no pastor. They're burned out. We need men we need healthy men to pastor our churches, and we need to do it together. Moses does this. He chooses able men. He delegates authority. And we see that they're put over all of these hundreds, thousands, fifties, and tens. As we, as we draw to a close today, um, I'll invite the band back up to uh, sing our final song. I wonder if you noticed in chapter 17 and 18, these two stories, I think Moses is, is making a point here. And he's showing the parallels here. The Israelites needed able men to go and fight. Moses needs able men to judge and help out. Moses sits to watch and judge over the people. He needs people around him to come and lift up his hands. Moses is tired and in need of help in both of these stories. And we, we want to be a people who come alongside of one another 
to see the gospel continue to go forth. We, we want to be a people who rejoice in the Lord, who is our great deliverer. Jethro departs and goes back to his home country. You know what's awesome about this? Is he went back with a story of deliverance. <laughs> he went back with a story of deliverance. Let us rejoice today, for we've seen the Lord's power on display. We've been able to recount and remember the Lord's deliverance of Israel from Egypt and our deliverance from the bonds of sin. Let us rejoice in having others in our life who can bring guidance, for there is great rejoicing when we follow the Lord's direction. Let's pray. Father, you are good. You are kind. We thank you for your word. Lord, may we leave this place obeying your word and rejoicing in our salvation. We pray all this in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen.